Please be seated. This week has been a difficult week for this church family. It's been a difficult week in the world. Uh, just waking up yesterday and seeing the news from Nepal, over a thousand, many more than a thousand, who were killed in the earthquake there. So I want to begin this morning feeling what's in the room, not just denying it and moving on with a, uh, a smile, but really acknowledging what many of us are walking through this morning. We sit here with uh, Tina passing and the celebration of her life later today. We sit here today with a deep sadness amongst us, don't we? Because we sit on this side of, of death and on the other side, well, Tina's in a better place. We know that, but it doesn't make it easy on us, does it? So there's a paradox among us this morning. There's a place here in church almost every week that we come together and, and some of us are so excited to get here and We've had a great week and can't wait to tell others about what our week has been like. And there's others that struggle to even come and show up. Wherever you find yourself this morning, I want to invite you to that paradox, to that convergence where joy and sorrow meet. In fact, right now, uh, you should have uh, some words in the pew in front of you. I'd like you to grab that right now. I just want to take a moment of silence to play a song that's called just that, Where Joy and Sorrow Meet. Wherever you find yourself, just allow the silence to, uh, to be a space for you, no matter where you find yourself, to meet God in this space before we come and share a word of hope today. Let's pr- play that right now, Lonnie. There's a place of quiet stillness between the light and shadows Joy and sorrow meet. 
Father, this morning we find ourselves in that convergence of joy and sorrow. Joy that we get to celebrate new life, but sorrow that we're left on this side of things. God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, I pray that your word of hope, your word of restoration would be the word we'd leave with today. That you are a God who will restore all things. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I don't think it was an accident that six to eight weeks ago I was planning this series and all of a sudden all of this comes together in ways I would have never expected. Last week, I think God spoke a word that touched hearts in the midst of a difficult morning. And this morning, I think, is no different. I don't think it's a surprise or a shock to us. It shouldn't come as that. God has a way of speaking His Word in His time. It's just what's needed. You've had that experience before, haven't you? That, that you speak a word you had no idea it would mean what it did, but it came to mean something. Or, or maybe something, somebody said something to you that you would have never imagined could have come out of their mouths, and it changed everything. This morning, death is on our minds. But death also leads me to think about the future that we're all headed toward in some way and in some time. Because one day, this is not going to be the way things are forever. There is one experience that humans have, every single one of us, and it is that death is something we will all get to if Christ does not return before that time for us. That is our common experience. But for Christians, we believe that there is a time that lasts long after death, don't we? Yeah, we should hear some amens this morning, that's right. We believe that this is not the end of things. Now, we all have our conceptions about what that end will look like, what it will look like one day. Heaven, if you want to call it, the new heavens and the new earth is how Scripture describes it at times. But I want, you have this conception in your head one way or another. And, and the way that I had my conception of the future developed for me was mostly through Saturday morning cartoons and in ways I didn't imagine through Dante and Plato. Even more than Jesus. Now that's a sermon for another day, and I'll save that for another time. But I say that to say we have conceptions of heaven that may not come directly from Scripture. It may just be the things that we see in culture that portray it a certain way. So this morning, I want to invite you to imagine God's future based on the words that Scripture shares about that future. So try to wipe that slate clean as well as you possibly can. And I want to read from Isaiah chapter 65 as Isaiah gives promise and hope and gives a vision about what the future might look like one day. Isaiah 65 verse 17. And you may want to read in your Bibles, but this may be a time you just want to close your eyes and use the right side of your brain instead of the left side that we use way too often in church. Okay? So however you want to receive this, receive it. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. 
The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they were still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The language there is the language of the new heavens and the new earth. Is that a world that you'd like to live in? Absolutely. A day when war will be no more. A day when there will be enough to go around. A world where all the tears will be wiped away. We'll share more about that world in a moment. But Isaiah is talking about a day that is on its way. Now today's sermon is entitled, God Will Restore All Things. And how many of you, I'm sure there are lots of you out there, have ever tried to restore an old item? Anybody? Raise your hands if you've done that before. Maybe it's been a a, a car Or maybe it's been you've restored old furniture. I don't know what it is that you've restored. Uh, Maybe for some of you it was restoring a relationship, right? It's not just things that we restore, but it's people and relationships. This is the way I want to define restoration this morning. To restore something is to take something that is broken or in need of repair and to fix it or repair it. Now, this morning I have with me some broken pieces of ceramic plate, okay? And for me, if this were to fall apart at my house or to break, I can tell you where it would go. It would go in the trash. I don't have a mind to restore plates and make it into something else. Maybe some of you, you see this and you see something you could make it into. But for me, this is just trash that I kind of throw aside. We had an incident the other day that involved broken ceramics like that. And it went right in the trash. And this language of restoration is important for those of you who've restored something because our movement, Churches of Christ, comes from something called the restoration movement. And so this language of restoration shouldn't be foreign to us. It should be a part of our identity and who we are. But that begs the question, if we're the restoration movement, what were we trying to restore? What are we trying to restore? And for so many of us who grew up in this movement, it has been so focused on trying to restore first century worship practices and make that our current practice today. Let me say, I think that's an honorable pursuit. I think that's a noble pursuit. I think that's trying to get things away from where it got. Church became very institutionalized. And well, you look at the Reformation, what they were trying to reform, it was a mess at the time, as church always tends to be, right? The goal was to say, what did the early church look like? How can we restore it? Just like you would restore an old car and reform Make it into its former glory. In some way, that's what we were trying to do with the church. Let's restore it. Let's look at what the early church did and put that into practice. And so what did we do? Where did we look most often about for this practice? We would look to Paul, wouldn't we? Because Paul told us how to work out problems in churches. He wrote letters on that topic. Jesus, well, that didn't really help us with restoring first century worship. And I think what we realize as we come along is that restoration is more than just the church. We need restoration as his people. So the Gospels and the Old Testament have a role in sharing us a story about God's restoration that's bigger than just the way we've done things for so long. But restoration is a part of the story of Scripture. And I want to point to some places this morning. Scripture talks a lot about restoration. 
Psalm 23 talks about restoration. God is a God who restores our soul. That's what David says. Or Psalm 51, another Psalm of David. David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David's in a hard place and he needed restoration of his joy. God even restores fortunes occasionally. We see that in Scripture from time to time. And when Jesus comes onto the earth, we see him doing the work of restoration, don't we? He preaches restoration in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew chapter 4, before he ever speaks a word about it, he shows restoration. He actually heals people's wounds. He makes it look like Genesis 1 all over again. It's as if there's not a curse. He helps the, lie, the lame to, to walk. He helps the blind to see. Jesus comes on the earth and continues God's work of restoration. But as I read about all the things about restoration in Scripture, you know the one thing I found missing this week? There was no mention of trying to go out and restore the church. It's interesting. We've been a back-to-the-Bible movement, but the one thing we've been trying to restore, Scripture never even instructs us to restore. Now, that doesn't, even, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be about that business. Obviously, every word couldn't be written that God wants us to be a part of. But this is a bigger restoration than just the restoration we've seen. Acts chapter 3, I want to point to this. this. These are the words of Peter as he preaches early in the book of Acts about restoration, about God's work. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, this is what Peter says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter's trying to tell us, yeah, Jesus had to go up to the Father for a time, but a day is coming when God is going to restore everything back to the way he intended it. There's more passages I want to point to this morning. Colossians chapter 1. This is a passage we read a few weeks ago about creation and, and, and Jesus' role in all of that. But Colossians 1 verse 15. I want you to pay attention in this passage to the inclusive nature of the language. Count how many times it says all or every in this passage, okay? Colossians 1 verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, God is not a specialist. He's not like us. We, we kind of specialize in certain areas. We get degrees in certain areas. God is a God who is over all things. There's not a small part of the creation he's over. He's created it all. And one day the promise is he's going to restore it all. He's going to reconcile it all. Another passage let me point you to is Matthew chapter 19. So if you think Paul said these words and that's enough, here's Jesus in his words. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone 
who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. Many who are last will be first. Do you hear the inclusive language of all of this? At the renewal of all all things. Everyone who's lost these things for me and my kingdom, you're going to receive it back. You're going to have eternal life. It's all going to be restored. And I love the word that Paul uses in verse 28. He uses a specific word that only shows up twice in Scripture. It's the Greek word polyngenesia, okay? It's a compound word between two words. The first is pollen, which just means again, okay? The other word is genesia, which Right, Genesis comes from the same idea. It's this beginning, this birth of things. He's saying, one day, the world's going to get birthed again. And this has been God's world, world and His work from the very beginning, a God who creates from nothing and creates everything. He created in Genesis 1, but He wasn't finished there. Because in Genesis chapter 6, there's the story of the flood. And the flood's a story about destruction, yes, to be sure, but it's also a story about God trying to restore and cleanse the world. The world had built up all this evil. Part of the flood was God trying to wash it all away to to start over its creation 2.0. Maybe this time Noah and his people can get it right. But it gets messed up again. It's in need of renewal and new creation again. And so what happens? They go into slavery. For over 400 years, they don't hear from God. And what happens? They pass through water, don't they? And God causes destruction, but he leads them through the waters. He, he parts the waters for them. They go through the waters, and those waters are a symbol of God's restoration, of his washing and trying to start it all over again with his people. God is a God of creation again and again, and he sends Jesus into the world to do the very same thing. And God continues this process of restoration in our lives, doesn't he? And here's the deal. I love that we come from the restoration movement. Because we serve a God of restoration. But here's my premise this morning. We restored things back to the first century. That was our goal. That was our vision. And here, I'm here to tell you, that wasn't far enough back. Because God is one day going to restore things, not back to the way it was in the first century when Jesus was killed. He's going to restore it all the way back to the way it was when he created it from the start. God's restoration is not to the first century. That's great. Let's be a part of a primitive church movement. That's all a good thing. But I'm here to say God wants to restore more than just the church. He wants to restore the entire thing. He's not a specialist. He does and wants to do it all. And that's a restoration movement we need to be a part of. Restoring his creation, restoring his people, restoring everything in our path. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that this can happen. But this is what we're being called to do and be a part of. And here's why this series, it all comes together right here, okay? The first week was Easter. Do you remember Easter? If you remember Easter from anything other than the resurrection, which would be a big thing, it was probably from these cardboard testimonies we had up here. You remember this? Stories of people being willing to be vulnerable and share what God had done in their lives, of moving them from brokenness to, well, continued brokenness, but healing, right? Healing that continues. And those stories were significant to hear the way you reacted when you saw people. You didn't even know they were going to share their testimony that morning, but you know the power of them sharing it. We talked about a God who works in all things for the good of his people. Now, that doesn't mean that God's doing everything in the world, right? We talked about this. He's not manipulating everything to make it happen, but God can do something with everything in the world. And so the bad things, the good, he restores that all. He works for our good. Week two, we went back to the story of creation. 
We talked about a God who made all things. He created it all, and because he created it all, he has a way to tell us how to live that's the best way of life possible. So the other pretenders out there, we might try to worship the creation. That's sometimes where we get into trouble. But we get things right when we worship the creator who's created it all. And one day, that creator isn't just going to create it all, he's going to restore it all. Because God can do all things. That's what we talked about last week. Sometimes we don't understand why he doesn't step in this morning especially. We wonder why he doesn't step in. But we find comfort in the words of Job at the end of Job 42. When Job says, I know you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's one confession as a child to make. It's another confession for Job to make. It's another confession for those of you who've gone through hardship. To be able to come to the other side and somehow in the midst of that say, God, I I trust you can do all things. I don't know why this didn't happen, but but I'm trusting you in the end. But all of that doesn't mean anything if God's not going to restore it all. And just because he, has the, he created everything, just because he has the power to, doesn't mean he will. What means he will, the reason it's possible that God can restore it all is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That changed everything in that moment. When Jesus died on that cross, Satan thought he had won, and God flipped the script and said, Satan, your greatest victory, I'm going to turn into your greatest defeat. It's over. You're over. The battle's defeated in the end. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul actually taunts death. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just say, This is not a a word of triumphalism to say the world is already that way. We know hardship. We know sorrow. We know it this week. But in the end, what we proclaim is that death doesn't get the last word. That we don't grieve as those who do not have hope. We grieve as those who know that one day God is going to restore it all once again. But today, we don't live in that world. We live at the intersection between joy and sorrow. We live in a difficult moment on this side of death. Now earlier I had you read Isaiah 65 with me. Trying to find a picture of what God's future is. We talked about a new heavens and a new earth. We talked about a day when infants would no longer just live a few days. We talked about a day in the future when the wolf and the lamb would feed together. Let me continue to fill in that vision as we continue to paint a picture of what God's going to do in the end. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Listen to these words as as John picks up on this prophecy of Isaiah and he sees what our future is going to be. If you need a good word this morning, trust in this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now that is a world worth waiting for. Amen? It's a world that I wish would be here sooner than later. 
And here's the good news for our future. One day, God is going to restore everything. And that's good news. The problem is we still live in the midst of this world where it's not yet restored. Where we still wonder, how in the world is that going to make sense in the midst of the sorrow that we feel and the grief that we continue to bear in the days after our suffering? Do you remember those broken ceramic pieces I mentioned earlier? The other day, uh, our youngest, Brooklyn, She's right over here, actually. Hi, Brooklyn. She turned one this week, but um, she looks cute, but she did a bad thing the other day. We have a, we, we have a uh, well, uh, a cabinet that we should have locked, so it's really our fault, but it has plates that we got on, on our wedding day. And not the fine china, but these are the everyday china. They were special to us, and there were these mugs that she was able to grab out of there, and she dropped it on the ground, and it broke. They can't be brought back to us because it was kind of a one-time thing and there's just can't find another one like it. Holly sends me a picture at work of exactly what it was and I knew it wasn't good news. And for me, when we had these ceramic pieces, we're not artists, we're not creators, and so what did we do with it? We threw it in the trash. And we'll forgive you, Brooklyn, it's not a big deal. We know, you know, there's joy along with it too, but it was hard. It was our fault in the end, and we were upset with ourselves of not doing the right thing. Here's this discontinued mug that we can't have anymore. But what we didn't realize is those creative, those, those ceramics that had been broken, that there are some people that can actually restore those things to make it look, look better than what it was. In fact, a few weeks ago, I talked with one of our artists here at church, Brian Crawford. And, and he took pieces of ceramic plate, and he broke them uh, because I wanted him to create an image that would be kind of a send-off for the series, a reminder that God does restore all things. Those of you who've done this with cars or furniture, you kind of get this and how it works. I, there's no way I could put this together and make it look beautiful at all. But I want to show you what Brian created that to me is a reminder of the restoration that God brings in our lives. Again, these are just broken pieces that I would have thrown in the trash. But this is what Brian was able to create with those broken pieces. And when I look at that, it's a reminder that this isn't the end. That in the end, God's going to restore everything back. That all the broken pieces of our lives and the sorrow that we feel, we don't think there's any way God can use it for anything good. But just like those cardboard testimonies that came up here, we're kind of our own mosaic as this church, aren't we? A picture of a new humanity, a picture that's trying to put on display to the world a future hope that God is going to one day do. And we've talked about a God who creates, a God who has the power to do all things, a God who, who can work good in all situations. And in the midst of the rubble of, of Nepal, in the midst of the rubble of our own lives, sometimes we wonder, if, what can God do with this? But sometimes God use, uses artists to paint pictures that words can't express. And to me, Brian has given us a picture of the restoration that God promises to one day do. As we leave the doors today, as we leave back into this world, you may look at your life and you may see just broken pieces, just shards of ceramics like this. But the things that are broken in our lives, you know, God has a way of fixing them and turning them into something far better. 
That doesn't bring comfort to all of our lives right now as we miss loved ones and long for a day where restoration's on its way in a much bigger way. This day's not here yet, but I'm here to tell you, church, it's on its way. God is going to restore everything he created. And that means that's true for Tina. It's true for the Ethiopian Christians that were killed by ISIS this last week. It's true for all of your loved ones that have died. There is a future hope. And that's where we're standing today. Let's pray together as we close our time together. God, this morning I pray that you would do your work of restoration in our lives, God. That you would take the broken pieces, that you would take the shards of our lives that can often hurt others, God. And you would, you would break them in just the right ways to build your picture of your future. God, help us to be your church. Help us to be your people of restoration. 